believe, help us in our unbelief. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Um, I, I, the other day, I had uh, two people contact me within 24 hours. And it was very humbling because both of them credited me with getting them into holy orders. And these are people that one was from when we were over in Scotland 20 some odd years ago. And I talked to this person about becoming a priest and I didn't think they were ready, but I knew something was happening there within them. Another fellow I saw was, uh, his name's Jim Flood. And he was in the hospital in Florida and every day I, uh, I made rounds in the hospital, sometimes twice. And Jim Flood was up on the second or third floor with his beautiful family. His wife was Filipino and three beautiful daughters. And Jim was the size of Texas. He was just huge. And he was lying in that bed. And it struck me that he had something more about him than just what I saw there. And I got to talking to him, and I, he didn't go to church. And I said to him, you know, about going to church, and he dragged himself into church. And we dragged him up to become a lay reader. And he was a school teacher. I think he taught history in school. But something was in both these people that I saw that they had a calling. Jim later became a uh, deacon in the church about seven years ago. And he's going to become a priest, I believe. He was uh, with a commission the other day. And what's kind of funny is the people in Central Florida, I was a dean down there in two of the different areas, but he got in there and they asked him, they said, what got you started in considering ministry? And he said, Andrew Faust. And he looked at him and he said, do you know him? And they said, yes, we do. (laughs) I don't know how to take that, but... You never know what you, can, what you say to people when it is going to, the seed is planted, but when it's going to sprout. Um, both these people, and there's been other people in my path that I've tried to plant seeds with, most of them work out somehow. But both these people held on to it for some time before they took action in it. And I'm just thankful they took action in it. So that goes into our Old Testament reading from Isaiah. We actually take off on the 10th verse. But if you go to the first verse of Isaiah, it's on page 560 if you want in your pew Bibles. You don't have to. I'm going to read it to you. Page 560. And the first verse says, The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Isaiah means Yahweh saves, or Yahweh is salvation. When you read scripture, you need to own it. You know, and I've said this before, just because you read it, I've read the whole Bible, I've read it three times, I don't know anything about it, but I've read it, you know, I'm a good reader. That doesn't do it. You need to be able to explain 
scripture in your own words, how it means to you. I've said before, I don't keep my sermons. They're not that good, so I don't keep them from year to year. But every time I read scripture, I look for something new. Sometimes I'll say, you know what? I read that wrong last time. It really is saying this. Scripture evolves with us. Um, we had a parishioner down in uh, Florida, and uh, her name was Patty. I can tell you that. You'll never meet her. And um, Patty was a troubled youth, and then she became a troubled adult. And her parents sent her not to reform school, but to um, Goodly Manor School, something like that, sort of a classy place for sending your your kids who are badly behaved. And part of their training in that school, the finishing school for the misguided, was for them to learn scripture. So Patty, when something would come up, she'd say, oh, I'm going to recite scripture. She didn't have a clue what it meant, but she could recite scripture. And she did that all her life, and she was constantly getting in one trouble or another. But she knew scripture. So when you do a Bible study, you should be able to sit back after a portion of it and think, how can I say this in my way? How can I say the meaning of this lesson in my way that I understand? Which, again, may change the next time you read scripture. So in this beginning part of Isaiah, if you go up, we begin on the 10th verse, but if you go down to like the 4th verse on that, the image of Israel of an entire body covered with wounds wounds and sores, a body not only refused treatment, but not, not even recognized. The Israel, because of a number of things, man-made rules, you know, they were giving uh, sacrifices, and God's basically saying in his beginning part, I don't want your sacrifices. They really mean nothing to you, and therefore they mean nothing to me. That's what God's saying. And the Hebrew people didn't know, because they're so burdened down with their man-made rules and whatnot, that they weren't effectively worshiping God. They were blinded by it. And so Isaiah really storms at him in this beginning of the uh, first 10 verses, saying, I don't want it, I don't want it. What was interesting to me after reading the lesson was, God didn't say, I will do it for you. It's very clear in this Isaiah reading that he's saying, you better do it, Buster. Nobody's going to save you except yourself. And that's why I go back and say, Reading is part of scripture for you, but understanding it. I said in the prayer this morning, and I find myself saying that every Sunday we say a prayer in the, the chapel here before we come in. May we read your scripture, may we hear your scripture, may we understand your scripture, and may it take very root in our being. And may it manifest itself in action for the kingdom. Because if it's just on the surface, you know the story about the seeds falling on hard ground? That's some of us 
sometimes. We need to absorb God's word. We need to make it our, our words. We take God's words and firmly plant them within ourselves, and they become us. In the prayer of uh, consecration, that he may dwell in us and we in him. That's the calling to understand scripture. God will not forgive the person who worships or does things and doesn't understand him, who doesn't um, truly uh, repent. But Psalm 50 verse 19 says, God will forgive a broken and contrite heart. So something to reflect on this afternoon when you're sitting in front of your nice warm fireplace, if you are. I plan to be. Is do you have a broken and contrite heart? Have you ever fell or not fell, but got on your knees and truly prayed to God to give you a heart of a believer? I ask that because you need to ask that of yourself. In John's uh, chapter, incidentally, uh, Deacon Brian, we were talking earlier, and he's thinking about the next study is going to be John's gospel, which I said, great, because that's my favorite gospel, John's gospel. In John's gospel, we'll come right to the end of this thing here. It says, Jesus says, I am. And I just want you to put that back here. Think, I am. What does that mean? Because we'll come to it in a minute. But you take a look at John's Gospel, beginning at the seventh chapter. Now, our uh, Gospel reading today was John 8, 46 to 59, I think it is. But to fully understand that, you have to understand, in my opinion, where Jesus was and who was looking to kill him. Because these words of our Gospel lesson, they sort of like are the final blow before Jesus. And it's in the last verse there. But uh, beginning at that, the um, seventh chapter, which is on in your pew Bibles, is on page 892. Brenda says I need to wait for a minute for some of you to find it. Tick tock. Okay, enough. <laughs> Jesus at the Feast of the Booths, or the Feast of the Tabernacle. Basically, this was a time in late September when the good Hebrew people would go to Jerusalem and take, uh, give thanks for the harvest, late September, but also would remember the 40 years they spent in the desert after they fled Egypt and the accommodations they had for sleeping and the, all the drudgery they went through, but to give thanks for God to God for bringing them out of Egypt into the land. After Jesus went about in Galilee, he would not go to Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now it says here, his brothers uh, said, oh, basically paraphrasing, why don't you come? And he says, I'm not going to go because they want to kill me. So his brothers went to the festival. But after his, his brothers left, Jesus went in disguise, it's, it hints at, and to the festival. 
and in you. About at the middle of the feast, Jesus went into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not of mine, but of the one who sent me. Now the Hebrew people, specifically the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the scribes, scribes and attorneys, they were in the wings. What is he saying? What is he saying? Can we get him on this? Can we get him on that? Over in chapter 7, verse 25, some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, is this the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is speaking openly and they say nothing to him. This is very getting aggravating to the ones who want to kill him. But in verse 32, the Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him. And the chief priests and Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. So then what it says basically in here is the officers listened to him. When they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ would come from the offspring of David and come from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The chief, the officers that were sent to arrest him went back to the priests and Pharisees and said to them, no one ever spoke like this. The Pharisees answered them, have you also been deceived? We sent you to arrest him. And you listened to him. And now you believe him. They were very, very angry. You can put yourself in their place. This upstart, this Jesus, with no education, is coming amongst them and saying, I am the one. And the Pharisees can't even listen to him because they have a vested interest in him not being the one. But you take the officers who are of the people, if you will, they're not burdened with all these silly man-made rules They heard, and to a certain extent, we're led to believe they believed. And in in chapter 8, it says, which of you convinces me of sin? I find that it, it convinces me of sin. Which of you can prove that I have sinned, is what he's saying. Which of you can prove? And I say the truth. Why do you not believe me? Very forceful words. Jesus knew that no one could prove him guilty of sin. Verse 47. He that is of God heareth God's words. He that is of God heareth God's words. In other words, he's saying, God. He's God. Ye therefore hear them not, insult coming, because ye are not of God. You are not godly persons 
Therefore, you couldn't see God standing in front of you. These are not words of endearment. In verse 51, verily, verily, I, every time I see this, it verily, verily, it's, I'm saying something important. My mother used to say just before she'd try to strike out, Andrew, Andrew, we named you after a saint. <laughs> verily, verily, I say unto you, if a man keep my saying, he shall never see death. What's Jesus talking about here? He's not talking about a physical death. He's talking about a spiritual death. You know, every now and then you have a health scare and you think, oh no, this is, this is the beginning of the end. You get them as you get older. Something to look forward to if you're young. <laughs> I'm not scared of dying. Physically, I'm scared of dying Spiritually, because we all have high tides in our spirituality, but we also sometimes have low tides, ebb tides. And that's when corporate worship is important. When someone's down, you lift them up, because when you get down, and you may get down, you pray to God there's somebody to lift you up. Then said the Jews unto him, Now we know that the devil has has that he has a devil. Abraham is dead. And the prophets have now says, if a man keep my saying, he shall never taste of death. They were absolutely very angry. Art thou greater than our father Abraham, which is dead, and the prophets are dead? They were expecting to hear no. Jesus answered, if I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father that honors me, of whom you say, that is your God. Insult coming. Yet ye have not known him, but I know him. And if I should say I know him not, I shall be a liar. Insult coming. Like unto you. He doesn't pull any punches. Right to their face. You're a liar. But I know him, and I keep his sayings. This is when he really steps into it a bit. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. He's not talking about a specific day here. He's talking about all that was involved in the incarnation. Abraham could see the beginning to the end. Then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not yet fifty years old and hast seen Abraham? You can imagine the anger they had inside them because they were not open up to hearing. Their ears were closed. Their hearts were closed. Their minds were closed. Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was I am. Now a good Hebrew would know exactly what he was saying. If you turn in your pew Bibles to um, Exodus 3.14, I think it's on page 46 in the front of the Bible. This big Bible I've got up here is just fantastic. I can read it from this far away. So Exodus 
3.14. If you remember the story, I mentioned it a couple weeks ago. Moses is, God comes and says to Moses, I want you to do this. Moses repeatedly goes in one form or another, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to. And then Jesus, God says, then Moses said to God, if I come to the people and they want to get, I'm going to give them a message. If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me, and they ask me, what's his name? What shall I say to them? 14th verse. God said to Moses, to Moses, I am who I am. God. So when Jesus says, I am, in their faces, he's saying, I am God. And there must have been teeth going back and forth like this, very, very angry. Then in the last verse, it says, they took, then they took up stones to cast him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. That's how mad they were. Now, in the, the Bible, there's, in the Old Testament, there's all sorts of ways. It's not necessarily saying, I am God, but there's, I am all over in the Old Testament and the New Testament, but specific, specifically in John's Gospel, there are seven cases of Jesus saying, I am. And this is all, some of these are previous, the first two are previous to the Gospel today. The rest of them are after the Gospel reading today. But the first one is in John 6:35, I am the bread of life. Then John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. John 10, 9, I am the door. John 10, 11 to 14, I am the good shepherd. John 11, 25, I am the resurrection and the life. No one cometh to the Father except by me. You know what? Those words... I've heard uh, religious, supposedly religious people say, oh, no one comes to the Father but by me. Those are kind of rough words. We don't want to say those to people who, no, shout them out. No one cometh to the Father but by me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 14, 6. I am the vine. You are the branches. John 15, 1 and 5. So if Jesus is the vine, that is the stock of the tree, we are the branches. Yesterday I was watching a program on pruning back. This is the time of year to prune your bushes. If, if you don't do it, I don't like it. But anyway, pruning back sometimes produces better fruit, or not sometimes, all the time produces better fruit. So something else to think about today, as you're again, you're sitting in front of your warm fireplace, should you be pruned back, or are your vines producing good product? Think about it. When is the last time you said to somebody, come to my church? When is the last time you said to somebody, 
Jesus saves. When is the last time you said anything to help your spirituality and somebody else's? That's our calling. Just like years ago, my calling was to talk to people, well, it still is, about becoming deacons and priests. All of our callings are to reach out to other people. And I pray that you do. And I pray that I do too. Because we could be pruned back. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen.